1: Psalm 19, Heavenly Father, may the words from my mouth and all those who preach or teach on this day, and may the the meditation of every heart, of every child of yours in any sanctuary, wherever it might be, may those meditations be acceptable in thy sight and blessed by your Spirit in our Savior's name. Amen. So tell me what is the greatest uh, commandment, Jesus? Tell me what is the greatest commandment. Is it the third? Is it the seventh? Is it the first? Is it the fifth commandment, thou shalt not kill? That has to be pretty high up there. What is the greatest commandment, Jesus? And he gives answer to the question... There's John chapter 11, one of the great verses, if not the greatest verse in the Bible, where he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. Whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. There is that great, great verse. John 14, day before he dies, says to his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you might be where I am. Two of the greatest verses in the Bible, John 11 and John 14. And nestled in between them is Jesus' statement to his disciples, knowing his time is running out and the cross is very near. He says to his disciples, I shall give you a last command. And it is a new command. And the new command I give you has three parts to it. New command I give you that you love one another. Point number two. By this will all men know that you are my disciples. If out of you comes this force called love. Point number three. As I have loved you, and I'm about to climb that cross to show you how much I love you. As I have loved you, so ought also you to love one another. The greatest commandment, as you love one another. By this will those folks who work with you. By this will those folks who commute with you. By this will those students who walk the hallway of the high school with you. By this will your fraternity brother, your sorority sister. By this will they know to whom you belong. By this will those who live in your neighborhood. By this will the family that you've married into. By this will the people in the corner bar know who you belong to. By this will those who work out with you. By this will the grocery store clerk or the gas station attendant. By this will the one who served you in the restaurant last night. By this will they know to whom you belong. That you love one another. That that's what they see coming out of you. That you love one another. It's heavy duty stuff heavy thought there what is the greatest commandment that you love one another 30 years later the apostle paul is writing to the romans 12 chapter second verse he says don't be conformed to the world because the world says the only person you really 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 should love is yourself the one you look at in the mirror If you love yourself, you can do great things. The Bible says you don't love the person looking at the mirror. You love God so that you can love others. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the only one who can come in and change your mind is the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit has done his transforming work, then you will show out to others the proof of God's love that is within you. Jesus put it this way, John seven thirty eight. He says, streams of living water are going to come from God, and they're going to enter you, but they will not stay in you very long. Jesus said, the streams of living water will flow out from you. In the streams of living water, Romans 12, where they will be so powerful that you will actually bless those who curse you. You'll actually return no man evil for evil, but you'll overcome evil with this power of love. And in Romans 13:9, the Apostle Paul, 30 years after Jesus issued this new command, he said. All of the commandments, all of Moses' commandments 1500 years earlier, all of the commandments can be summed up in this one rule love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love does no harm to the neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. I said it on Wednesday to about 40 people in the afternoon and 40 in the evening. I said, Matthew 5, 16, Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men. Let your love so shine before men that they may see this love and give glory to God that he put you in their life at that precise moment when the need was greatest. Far too often we show our darkness. Jesus didn't say, Let your darkness be shown to all men. He said, Let your love. What's the darkness? Galatians 5.19, that's the darkness. Fruits of the flesh, sexual immorality, idolatry, debauchery, witchcraft. You say, that ain't me. I'm not into witchcraft or debauchery, whatever that is, and I'm not into sexual immorality. So I guess I'm cleared. You and I are not cleared. Because the next words say this. Fruits of the flesh, fits of rage... Anger, discord, jealousy, envy, hatred, vengeance. And uh, every once in a while, that is us, didn't say, let your darkness shine forth. Said, let your love shine forth. I want to tell you a story. I shared it some 14 years ago. Let me share a true story with you. His name is John Blanchard. World War II, 1944. He stood up from the bench in Grand Central Station, New York City, New York. And as he stood up, he straightened his army uniform. And he studied the crowd of people that were there at Grand Central Station. He was looking for a girl. He had never seen her face, but he had seen her heart. And he had known that heart for one year and one month as he was serving in the Great War over in Europe. She said to him in the last letter that she sent, she said, You come to New York City Grand Central Station. You come at 7 p.m. on this date And I will be there. And the way you will recognize me, I will have a red rose on my lapel. Thirteen months earlier in a library in Florida, his interest had begun. He went into the library, picked any book off the shelf. Didn't matter which book, he picked a book off the shelf. And he started to read the book and he was intrigued not by the book, but by the endless notes that he saw in the margin, page after page. And he read those notes over and over again, and he thought to himself, whoever wrote these notes must have the kindest hearts and the most insightful heart there is on this planet. He turned to the front of the book. He said, this book's owner is Hollis Manel, this crazy man, with quite some time and effort, he located her address. She lived in New York City. He was stationed in Florida. He wrote her a letter. No emails back then, no Skype and none of that stuff. He wrote her a letter, introducing himself, inviting her to write back. And the very next day after he sent the letter, he is shipped overseas for service in the Great War. During the next year and one month, he saw things that shattered his spirit and his heart. He saw things and was involved in things he knew would haunt him for the rest of his life. And whenever things got very, very difficult, there was a letter that came from Hollis Manel. Over and over again, these letters came And as they came, he saw her as an angel sent from God. And whenever a letter came, there was sowed in him a stronger seed of interest and affection. John Blanchard said, send me your photograph. She did not. She thought to herself, if he truly cares about me, it will not matter what I look like. Smart girl. When the day finally came, and he returned from Europe, they scheduled a face-to-face meeting. He would come from Florida up to New York City, Grand Central Station, 7 p.m. And she said to him, You will recognize me by the red rose I will wear on my lapel. It is 7 p.m. He's in the station. He stands up. He straightens the uniform. And then he describes what happened next. He writes, A young woman was coming toward me, her figure long and slim. Her blonde hair lay back in curls, her eyes were as blue as a summer sky. Her lips and chin had a gentle firmness, and in her pale green suit, she was like springtime come alive. I started toward her, entirely forgetting to notice that she was not wearing a red rose. And as I moved toward her, a small smile swept across her lips, going, my way, sailor. That's all she said. Almost uncontrollably, I moved one step closer to her, and then I saw behind her a woman with a red rose. I saw Hollis Manel the one I had been writing all these months, the angel sent by God to me in the form of her letters. She was almost directly behind the girl in the pale green suit. Woman in her late forties, graying hair tucked under a worn hat, somber look on her face. The girl in the green suit was walking quickly away. I felt as though I was being split in two. So great was my desire to follow her. And yet so deep was my longing for the woman whose spirit had been with me during those war months and upheld my spirit while I was overseas. There she stood, the woman with the rose, Hollis Manel, her face gentle, sensible, gray eyes warm, a kindly twinkle. I did not hesitate. My fingers gripped the book in which her notes were. I knew this relationship would be precious to me. I squared my shoulders. I saluted her. I held out the book. I said, I'm Lieutenant John Blanchard. You must be Hollis Manel. I'm so glad to finally meet you. I have so many things to say to you. Would you let me take you to dinner? She smiled and said, I don't know what's going on here, young man, <laughs> but that young lady in the green suit, she begged me to wear this rose on my coat. And she said that if I were, if you were to ask me out to dinner, that I should tell you the real Hollis Manel is the lady in the green suit. And she's in the restaurant across the street. And she would like to have dinner with you. She told me it was some sort of test. She told me it was some sort of test. The true nature of a person's heart is its response to the unattractive. The true nature of a person's heart Is its response to the unattractive. And someone may be unattractive to you because of the color of their skin, because of their height or lack thereof, because of their weight or lack thereof. A person can be unattractive to you for a hundred different reasons the homeless, and, and the needy, and the handicapped. And a person can be unattractive to you because they've hurt you, they've angered you, they've disappointed you by something they've done. Hussage was a great philosopher. He said, tell me who you love and I'll tell you who you are. Fair enough? Tell me who you love and I'll tell you Who you are. New command I give you. That you love one another. By this will others know you're my disciple if you love one another. As I have loved you, so ought also you to love one another. The Apostle Paul wrote a chapter in the Bible. Every wedding I've ever done, uh, over 600 of them, I've asked that this scripture be read. It says, If I were so gifted as to be able to speak like an angel and was more eloquent in my speech than any person on this earth... And yet my heart was hard and critical and judgmental. If I had not a loving spirit, I am nothing. If I speak God's word with great power and insight, revealing, unlike anyone else ever had, the mysteries of God. And if I was so gifted a preacher as to make God's word as plain as day to my listeners. and if my own personal faith was so strong, I could say to a mountain, move and it would move. And yet my heart was hard and critical and judgmental. And I had not a loving spirit in me. I am nothing. I am useless to God and to others. And finally, he said, if I gave everything I possessed to the poor and had my body burned at the stake, and my motive was egotistical, self-centered, wanting the praise of men... If my motive for those things was not love, I have gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, no matter what I believe, no matter what I do, no matter what I am, I am bankrupt without love. And then he said, here's what love is. Love never gives up. Thank you, Jesus. You didn't give up on Moses or Abraham. You didn't give up on Simon Peter. You didn't give up on 12 disciples. You didn't give up on the thief on the cross. You didn't give up on King David, adultery and murder. You didn't give up on me. You didn't give up on you. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Thank you, Jesus. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Why? Because love doesn't care about itself, it cares about others. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head. Love doesn't force itself on others. Love doesn't say, I'm first. Love doesn't fly off the handle. It doesn't keep score of the sins of others. It doesn't rejoice when others are having a difficult time. It goes to them and says, how can I help? And finally this. Love puts up with anything. Thank you, Jesus. You put up with anything. Your disciples betraying you, scribes and Pharisees wanting you dead. The crowds endlessly hounding you. Satan whispering all the time. Sometimes shouting loudly. Love puts up with anything. Love trusts God in everything. I don't want to climb the cross, not my will, but thine be done. I'll trust you, God, in everything. Love always looks for the best. As Jesus Explain to me how he can be hanging on the cross looking for the best. Father, forgive the scribes and Pharisees. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive the Roman soldiers that just pounded the nails in my hands and feet. Uh, They don't know what they're doing. It always looks for the best in people. Love always keeps going to the very ends, to the very ends. Love keeps going to the very ends. Jason and I are beginning to work on the tenebrae service, Good Friday. It always puts me in a certain mood. A mood of solemnity, sadness, awe. Because on the cross, he will shout one word in the Greek, tetelestai, and that one word means it is finished. And then he will lay his head back on the cross, and he will die Love keeps going to the very end. John Blanchard understood what love was. was. That's why he went to the woman with the red rose. Hollis Manel understood what love was. That's why she didn't send a photograph of herself. Jesus knew what love was. That's why he died on the cross for us. While we were yet sinners, while we were polluted, while we smelled so badly of sin, when we were so grotesquely disfigured with sin that God, when he came down, could not even see his son on the cross. And Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? I leave you with one final verse that depicts the love of Jesus, Romans 5.8. It is rare for one man to die for another man, though for a good man someone might dare to die. But God showed his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What's the greatest commandment, Jesus. That you love one another. In his powerful name, amen. Would you rise as we pray? Heavenly Father, our theme throughout this year has been reach out with purpose. And Jesus would say to us, your purpose needs to be loved. Reach out with purpose, and your purpose needs to be love. Whenever I baptize an infant, I say to the parents, take this vow that you will pray with and for this child on a daily basis. Take this vow that you will set before this child a Christian example in the words that come out of your mouth and in the deeds that this child sees. Reach out with great purpose. And if the purpose behind our reaching out is love, then anything and everything we do will be blessed by God because the motive for the action was love. In our Savior's name, amen